Talk Recorded live. If you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, that's because you are either in the chat room or you've happened upon a pre-edit copy of this program, and you probably want to wait till we have one that's better off. So come back later. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 343 is recorded live September 21st, 2017. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where we're having that visit right back into a little bit of summer. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm here and enjoying the Indian summer, I think is what they used to call it. Yeah, I was just about ready to put that air conditioner away, and it got a little warm. And also joining us this week, we have Kevin Ailes. How are you doing today, Kevin? I'm doing most excellent. I'm glad to be here. How about yourself, Darren? I am doing great. It's always nice to be able to talk about some scuba diving, especially after you actually got a chance to be underwater. So looking forward to being able to share our experiences over the weekend. But before we get to that point, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. I want to thank everybody who's in the chat room. Uh, uh, Discord seems to be working out pretty well. So we've got Ted and we've got Karen and we've got Derek in there right now, along with Kevin and myself. And Throughout the day, the evening, I expect we'll see a few more people pop in and out. The first article is zebra mussels found in Minneapolis, Lakeville Lakes. A cluster of zebra mussels was found in Minneapolis Lake Herit after they were found in Lake Marion and Lakeville, adding the two lakes to the list of infested waters. The mussels in Lake Herit were found in a boat cover recovered from the bottom of the lake. No others are found after an extensive 67-hour search of the lake, which eventually could be removed from the infested waters list if no other mussels are found during future surveys. We're grateful no zebra mussels were found during the extensive dive, snorkeling and wading search of Lake Harriet, said uh, Heidi Wolf, Invasive Species Unit Supervisor for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Lake Harriet has been carefully monitored for the rest of the season and next year, but no treatment is necessary at this time, said DNR Invasive Species Specialist Keegan Lund, individual zebra mussels sometimes die after they are brought into a new lake and before they become established, he said. As part of Lakeville's early detection program, the city hired a lake consulting business which found five adult zebra mussels at a public access landing. Lakeville may apply for a pilot project treatment after more thorough search of the lake is it's a common misconception that zebra mussels are everywhere and that they spread is inevit- inevitable. The reality is of Minnesota's 11,842 lakes, fewer than 250, or about 1.8%, are listed as infested with zebra mussels. More Minnesotans than ever before are following the state's invasive species laws, which can from spreading to new lakes, one says. Boat and equipment being taken out of the water for the season should be checked for aquatic invasive species. Contact the DNR if suspected infestations are found. The DNR suggests people look at the post, wheels, underwater support, bars of docks and lifts, as well as any parts of boats, pontoons, rafts that have been submerged in the water for an extended time. State law requires that docks and lifts be dried for at least 21 days before they're placed into another body of water. So, I don't know. They, 
Are they being overly optimistic, thinking that they're not going to get them in all their lakes? I think they are, but again, it's colder. As a side note, um, it was in the paper this week that uh, Paw Paw Lake is announcing, yes, they know they have quagga slash zebras there, and they're starting to multiply, and they're more worried about it in Little Paw Paw. I've had zebras for quite a while. Well, yeah, I did a presentation a couple of months ago, and then I showed pictures and said, oh, and by the way, this is what you've got right now. So, yeah, it's not a surprise. Maybe they're just in a little bit of denial, thinking that maybe they didn't have them. Yeah, yeah we're thinking. It's one, of, it's one of those things that no one wants to admit, you know, and they're probably going to have to have it really, you know, made pretty blatantly obvious like you did it, like, like you did there, Mac, with making sure they're aware of it there. And even then, word has to get around, and they probably want a second opinion, who knows what, just because nobody wants but we see them all the time. It was funny that I did have a yeah, I would come up afterwards and say would I put a 10-minute program for them and, you know, take that to the uh, the Lake Association. Uh, they never got back, so I never followed any more, you know, followed up on it myself. But, uh, yeah, they, they've got them. <laughs> and they're starting to cl- close up the clams and stuff down there. Mm. Yeah, well, you would think with as much nutrients as there is in Pawpaw that uh, they would they would be pretty well established very quickly. Well, this next one we have is uh, uh, somebody diving in the wonders of wildlife. Mark Wahlberg was a surprise guest at Wonders of Wildlife and went for a scuba dive in a tank Wednesday. Wahlberg called the museum masterful and breathtaking. Speaking of Bass Pro Shops founders Jimmy Morris, Walbrick said he continues to outdo himself. I can't wait until people from all over the world come and experience not only the museum and everything else Bass Pro has built, but to enjoy Missouri, our great country, and all the things we have to offer. Minutes after his arrival, wearing a black wetsuit and scuba gear, Walsworth stepped up the platform on top of the two-story tall aquarium. Colorful ocean fish and ray swirled around him and played in his bubbles. In the background, a live band played classical music and Beatles tunes. Underwater Wahlberg flashed the peace signs in both hands. Seated in a rock in the petting ray tank below, a golden-clad mermaid flipped her tail and waved at visitors. Mermaid Maggie Adrian told the news leader she's a professional dancer from Kansas City. Other mermaids will be swimming the tank later in the night. I'm just a sitting mermaid, she said. It's not the first time Wahlberg, known for starring in films such as Boogie Nights or Lone Survivor, uh has spent time in the Ozarks this year, and March Wahlberg played around the golf near Branson. So I'm more interested with that that tank. I wonder if they're going to let anybody go in there, or do you have to be a celebrity? I like the setup, the way it looks like part of a shipwreck, too. Yeah, I think they did a pretty decent job just from what we're seeing here. Of course, they got him there as part of a promotion. Well, they ought to let us three go down there and uh, be part of their promotion. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 who's more famous than us? I mean, they they get a you know a, an almost a actor like Mark. I mean, I think that they they'd want Mac in there. I was thinking more would give you another opportunity that with a leaky wetsuit you'd be comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> if it's warm enough, yeah, I could. I've got the wetsuit right for that. 
And then we have some Alberta scuba divers search for owners of photos found in a British Columbia lake. A group of Calgary scuba divers returns a SD card full of memories to two unknown men after they found the camera at the bottom of the lake in southeastern British Columbia last August. Caroline Baker and four other divers are working in a documentary project, Twin Lakes near Irvinmere, British Columbia, and they came across a GoPro camera lying 170 feet below the surface. Barker, who had been diving for more than 30 years, says it's normal to find bits and pieces while submerged in the water. Occasionally, we do find stuff and try to get back to the owners if we can. While the GoPro camera is water damaged, the SD card remains functional. The photos on it are dated from 2012 and show young men rafting in Calgary as well as cliff jumping near Inner Vermeer. It would have been kind of fun to return the memory in the camera as well to the original owners. Barker said, Facebook post from membership of the diving group asking for help locating young men has been shared more than 4,000 times. The group believes the two men may be from Calgary. Baker said there's been no lead so far, but she's hopeful someone will be able to identify the camera's owners. I've seen that shared quite a bit online. So uh, I'm guessing that they uh, maybe uh, lost it, you know, jumping and doing all the other things that are in the photos. <laughs> 170 feet deep? Well, depending upon the housing, that. depending upon the housing, you know, one of the GoPro housings is rated for uh, 130, one's rated for 180. If you got the rivets around the screen, it's rated for 180. Yeah, but a lot of these, uh, I mean, the SD cards have no problem handling. I had another article, which I, I can't get to load, but it was uh, some, uh, it was some uh, somebody doing a documentary, and this is in saltwater, and they lost the camera, and then a year later found it, and then they, were, they did some research to figure out why uh, these were lasting so long, and a lot of it just has to do with how they're made, the durability that they they make them, and uh, some of the gold uh, coating and the uh, the way they seal up the chips, it, they just tend to do fairly well, be fairly durable. Is that the one that was in Mexico, 262 days or something? Yes. Or is that a different one? Nope, that's the one. Uh, and then we have another article that I'm going to skip over. It says an annual cleanup event hauls tons of garbage out of Lake Travis, and I'm not going to cover that. Uh, but I do know where we are, where there will be an ecology dive in the next few days. Uh, and where? that Tell is us. going to be in the St. Joe River, I'm telling you, in Niles, Michigan, uh, the Mud Club, uh, I think Wolf's, uh, is also sponsoring it. Uh, did it, did not the city of Niles? Are they going to do a dumpster again? Or yep, we're going to have a dumpster there. It's going to be closer to where we have all our junk. Uh, and I did talk to uh, Jim today from Wolf's, and they are providing several of the prizes mm-hmm. gratis. So that's even nicer. Since we're, this is not a you know charged event or anything, so it was yep. nice of Wolf's plan them to do that for us. Yeah, excellent. Uh, and uh, so what it is, it's September 23rd, 2017, and this is the second year in a row. Uh, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., uh, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. is going to be set up. 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. is going to be the in-water time. 
for the dive. So you got four hours to go and find your goodies. And then from three to four, we'll be judging, socializing, and then at the end, throwing all the stuff in the dumpsters. Uh, everyone who, anybody who wants to come, you're welcome. We need uh, short support. We need, we can use divers, snorkelers, swimmers, kayakers, waders, bubble watchers. Um, let's see, did we, the awards uh, are going to be for the most unusual, heaviest, most pieces, and biggest pile. You're encouraged to bring a dive flag and a tarp to display your finds. And then uh, we're going to have a trailer to load the scrap steel so that can be hauled off. And then the city is providing a dumpster, City of Nile. So thank you for that. Uh, I, I see that we've got the uh, the event on Facebook. Any idea how many people we've got coming so far? I really don't at this particular juncture. Um we're hoping for a lot. We do know that the water is really warm. To uh, Saturday is going to be extremely warm outside. It's supposed to be like 85, if not a little warmer, and sunny. The water is at least two foot lower than last year, and visibility today or t- this evening was 10 feet or better. So that culvert that we have that we'd like to straddle to get down in the water is the end of it visible? Well, when you say the end, it, there's still part of it underwater, but there's several okay. sections that lead out there. And there is okay. no cross current. I mean, you can go, you know, use your couple of sticks and just walk across with the sticks. Really easy today. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I plan on being there. a good time. That came together pretty quick. <laughs> I know we had had it in the calendar for a while. but Let's see. I think this is the next one. Mysterious pink tube creature is baffling divers. Mysterious rounds a discovery of bizarre tube-like mass off the coast of Australia. And it, its uh, description may have been solved earlier this month. Jay Winks, owner and operator of ABC Scuba Diving Port Douglas, posted phot- photographs to Facebook the strange encounter he had with an unidentified mass. Can anyone name the pink thing he wrote? It's about three meters long and 100 millimeters in diameter. Photoed the unusually, unusual sighting quickly went viral, with many weighing in that the tube was likely a worm-like marine species called a pryozone. Zome. Uh, these colonies of individual creatures called zoids, also nicknamed the unicorn of the sea because of their rarity, can sometimes reach length of more than 60 feet. As it turns out, Winks discovered something even rarer upon closer examination. It was determined that the glowing pink mass is not a creature at all, but one giant egg sac. According to Rebecca Helm, a jellyfish biologist with Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute in Massachusetts, the bright pink dots arranged in lines around the tube are actually eggs of the diamond squid. These egg masses are incredibly rare, Helm said in 2015 blog post on another egg sac sighting. If I were there, I would have been screaming with joy through my regulator. I hope divers know what a lucky sighting this was. And there's a video of it if you want to take a a look. Marine scientists estimate these egg sacs could contain anywhere from 20,000 to 40,000 baby squid. Despite the lifespan of only a year, baby squid can quickly reach lengths of three feet or more. Now, do they mean that the squid altogether only lives for a year? 
only considered a baby for a year. I'm thinking the baby squid is a variety of squid with a one-year lifespan, the way that's worded. Huh. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. That was in Australia, and about 90% of everything you find in Australia will kill you. If I saw that coming at me, I'm not sure I'd have hung around there and, and looked at it a little bit. Yeah, where's where's That's when you call your buddy over. Yeah, it depends on the buddy. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> hey, come on, take a look at this. Mm-hmm. Is that a body? Yeah, I dare you to pet it. Yeah, where's where's Mama Squid? Yeah, when you see a sack like that, the Mama Squid somewhere around, maybe. And then Hurricane Irma unearthed a canoe in Indian River in uh, Brevard. Hurricane Irma uncovered a piece of history from the Indian River when a dugout canoe was brought to the surface. Officials from the Florida Department of State's Bureau of Archaeological Research and the Division of Historical Resources said the work to preserve the canoe estimated to weigh six to 700 pounds. Randy Lathorpe of Coco shared the news of discovery on Facebook with his friends. I got to it before it was picked up by the county with all the other storm debris and placed in a landfill. I certainly keep everyone updated in the progress, he promised. The Indian River is part of the sovereign submerged lands, meaning all objects of intrinsic historical or archaeological value abandoned on state-owned lands are owned by the state with a title vested in the Division of Historical Resources, officials said. Lathrop spotted the dugout cypress tree canoe when he was bicycling and observing damage from Hurricane Irma. And I was like, that can't be, Lanthrop said. It's unlikely archaeologists knew he had to save the canoe as a front-end loader was just down the street clearing debris. Could have very well ended up in a pile, under a pile of trash in a landfill, so we're happy we're able to rescue history, he added. The state spokesman said the canoe is still being evaluated, but they've already noticed square nails remnants of paint chips, and the fact that it was likely buried and exposed to the elements in the river. The canoe is being stored underwater, not far from where it was found until that preservation. Its spokesman added that they hope to get the canoe in the community where it can be discovered, where it was discovered so that people can enjoy and learn from it. Now, square nails, that would indicate that that is uh, fairly modern. So that would place it... Uh, you know, 1700s to mid 1800s. Yeah, it's you know, just looking at it, it looked like it was hollowed out, and I was really impressed with that until you said nails. Yeah, well, I saw the same thing when I looked at it. Uh, I know up around Sogtuck they had uh, a couple of those that they had found. Uh, I don't know if they still in existence or if they're in the museum up there, but there was uh, some a few years back that had had been located yeah there's one i know eric one of our regular listeners was telling me about one in a local lake that was pulled out a number of years ago and you know there's talk there might be another but uh hasn't been followed up on as of yet but yeah the, 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 these things are out there you know you think about yeah. it i mean we, we we see all kinds of you know modern era boats down there you know we see all kinds of you know modern you know rowboats and you know, scuttled old ski boats and things. Well, I'm sure the uh, 
the, the natives here did the same, you know, I mean, when their boat got outdated or they wanted to, you know, dump it and get a new one, well, there it went, or maybe float away from their, their dock at night, who knows what, so probably been a trend going on for as long as there's been people here. But a cool find, and it's one of the you know one of the things that happened. Maybe if it wasn't for the hurricane ripping through there, you wouldn't have seen it. And oh, I think I skipped a good one. Does anybody have that one loaded up? Which one are you uh, looking for? Uh, we had the uh, the underwater sh- sanctuary. Ames Preserve Lake Michigan Shipwrecks off of Wisconsin. Let's see if I can get that one to load. I'm guessing probably not. That was the one. And then we had uh, another one. That was from Australia, right? No, this one uh, is an underwater sanctuary, and it, it did load for me, so we can cover it. Uh, plans to aim to preserve Lake Michigan Shipwrecks off Wisconsin. And this one sounds familiar, so we may have covered something similar in the previous weeks. Uh, after a year of scouring the depths of Lake Michigan with sonar-equipped fishing boats, Steve Radovan finally got a hit in a grayscale monitor in a cabin in May 2016. The 17, yeah, I think we have covered this one. 71-year-old shipwreck enthusiast powered down the... Uh, yeah, this is, the, he found the ship, the Mojave. Yeah, I I think we have covered this one. So we we can go ahead, and, didn't we? The I don't JM, recall, but I I missed a few casts, but I don't recall this article. Okay, maybe I just read it so much, but uh, they go in and uh, and there's also a and maybe this is part of it. And another one is that there's a movement out that the uh, federal government is looking at maybe making another preserve. This one would be out of Wisconsin. So the proposed marine sanctuary be 1,075 square miles. Uh, let's see. Do they have anything else? I'm, I'm, I'm scanning over a lot of this. We'll have these in the show notes if you want to follow along. Um, yeah, they have another one that shows the SS Atlanta. But they certainly have a, a nice high density of uh, wrecks, and they tend to be a little bit deeper on that side of the lake. Well, Wisconsin kind of has an advantage over there in that, you know, with the the wind direction, a lot of our wrecks on this side get kind of battered because the storms come from that side. So by the time the waves get over here, they're quite substantial. So many of our wrecks that are, you know, if they're under 120 feet, they get pretty knocked around, sometimes even deeper, whereas the storms just don't have a chance to build on that side. So they have some wrecks over there, you know, 60, 70 feet, which are really nice and pristine. Um, and it's a lot colder over there, though, so pretty much most of your Wisconsin side of Lake Michigan diving is dry suit diving, but they get a a strong convection current, you know, the, the prevailing winds come from the west and blow all the uh, warm top water our way, but then that ends up sucking up all the cold deep water, which gives them, you know, better visibility. It's cold. I'm, I remember diving over there in September uh, two years ago, 
and it was 40 degrees at 60 feet in September. Yeah. I couldn't believe it, but oh yeah, it, it gets cold over there. It's definitely you know dry suit season year round over there, but they get some nice visibility and they have some really nice intact wrecks too. So, so it looks like they're on the the run to go and make the this uh, a preserve. And you look, and they've got quite a few wrecks in that, that boundary, uh, just a little bit north of Milwaukee, from uh, Port Washington uh, up through Manitowoc. So about three or four counties worth of shorefront that would be included in that preserve. I would like to see a little better, uh, I don't know, websites documenting where the wrecks are at over there. You know, over here we have, on our side of Lake Michigan, we have a number of websites which will give you GPS numbers and descriptions and depths and everything, you know, between Michigan Preserves and michiganshipwrecks.orgs. Um, it's easy to find our records there. Uh, you know, there are sites that do it, but they're kind of scattered, you know, and they're, they're done mm-hmm. by individual dive shops and individual folks. There's not, not a, doesn't seem to be, you know, the large, you know, one-stop shopping or GPS numbers over there that we have over here. So. Yeah, I'm not sure why that would be the case. Uh, I do know that many of these are deeper wrecks, and uh, some of them, I know some of their recent discoveries that we see a lot of tech divers doing. They're they're trying they're kind of hush hush on those locations. But many of these yeah. super wrecks still have uh, a lot of artifacts on, so I think that's part of it. They're just a little concerned of people coming and grabbing them. Yeah, but that's that's pretty been a pretty hot topic lately. Uh, you know, especially you know, on Facebook. you know, there's a real there's quite a bit of friction between you know the divers and the finders about these numbers getting out. A lot of people who are finding these things are not willing to put the numbers up, but then, you know, we still see it today where we're having a, a lot of artifact pilfering, um, you know, and, and some of the deeper ones too, you know, uh, you know, the Cornelia Windy 8 had all of its uh, uh, serving wear. They used to have a lot of stuff back around the uh, stern wheel laid out for everyone to see, and somebody cleaned that up. And if you're listening, I hope you're rotten hell, but, uh, so, you know, it sounds like, I don't know, there's, different folks who are still taking stuff out and, and it's the people who are cleaning out the wrecks are the reason why numbers are not being released on some of the other wrecks. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there, which, you know, the numbers are really locked down and, you know, they're just not going to release the public because there's just so much stuff going on. You know, the, uh, the Thomas Hume, the numbers were released to the public just uh, in the last year. You know, they came out in, in Chris Cole's book. I'm not going to point the finger at him, but, you know, it's just the thing is well, when the numbers came out, yeah, um, we have divers who've been out there pre and post public releasing, and, yeah, things are missing. You know, things, things are, things are, people are taking souvenirs home with them now, um, even on the Hume. You know, uh, the, uh, the SS Michigan gets had the uh, lamp room cleaned out, and that's pretty deep at around 240. Um you know, there's been this idea that the, peop- the the deeper people go, the more reverent they are about not taking things. But yeah, this stuff has come up missing. So um, if your buddies are doing it, you know, try to get them to stop. 
I mean, don't do it yourself because, um, you know, what's the point of having this stuff on your mantle, okay? You're only going to be able to show it to your friends and your friends, and half of them are going to look at you and say, you know, hey, you know, you're the reason why we can't go out and dive without these cool wrecks. It's because people are, are pilfering. So knock it off. Yeah, it just it loses some of its value when you when you take it out of the water like that. Well, well I mean, it's not like anybody else is going to be able like a like a, a dishware set. I mean, who's going to really be able to recognize? That? I mean, it 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 looks better on the wreck than it does out of the water. I, I know I know there's an argument. And I know Mac has some strong feelings about this too. Mac, would you want to chime in on this? I, I know that you have some different views than I do on this stuff too. So, well, one item is when you spend as much time, and you know you've been out there searching a lot with me, looking for the airplanes and a few things like that. Once you're out there and you spend that much time and that much money, quite often you would like to sort of keep that to yourself for a while, and. Obviously, like when we we found that one wreck out there, you know, the Max wreck, we did a lot of video, we did a lot of survey, and then we turned it over to, you know, powers at B, and now anybody can dive if they want to, you know. But, you know, for that first year, it was it was sort of nice having that to ourselves, and then the club guys could go out there and dive it. And I think that's got a little bit to do with it, because, you know, that's, you spend a lot of time and money and I think that leads you to want to maintain that, you know, as a private little item for a while. But then eventually you do yeah. release it. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's these perfectly items fine. Are, are being missed at 240 feet. Uh, you could probably nail down who took that because there's not that many guys seriously diving that deep. One would think anyway. Yeah, I mean, you could probably, you know, give an idea who did it there within, within the community. But I mean, if it's, if it's local people too, you know, from what I understand, the people who cleaned out the windy eight, um, or from the, from it's believed they were from the East coast, you know, and, you know, you, you get, you know, saltwater divers kind of have a different view on it than we do here. You know, we, we we're like several generations in on the uh, ship protection act, you know, that was established back in the late eighties. So, the majority of our current divers, you know, began diving, you know, when that was already into effect. But then you have, you know, areas where they don't, that, that doesn't affect. Um, then there's an idea that, hey, if it's non-ferrous metal, it comes home with you. And, you know, that might fly in saltwater where it's not protected, but around here, you know, you've got state protection, you've got federal protection, um, you know, it's 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 a pretty good taboo within the community to to, to do this, um, but then you know people are going to do what they're going to do. Uh, from what I understand, uh, the typo. Uh, I, I've never seen it; it's out of my range. But uh, I've been told about uh, typo Terry. There's a uh, when the ship went down, cargo of coal, and went down stern first, and the stern broke broke open on it, and uh, divers discovered uh, there you know a boot with uh, leg bones in it in the stern in the stern area there. You know it's uh, trapped in the coal, so apparently someone someone got stuck in the hold when it went down, and you know, they were they became part of the wreck. 
well, I understand that recently typo, typo Terry is missing now. You know, someone has even gone so far as to take human remains, which is the lowest part of artifact scavenging is taking human remains. Okay. Uh, but people are doing it, you know, and I really doubt they were down there by themselves. They probably had a, guys back in the boat that were, you know, the whole group that, that knew about this here. So uh, keep in mind that uh, taking this stuff is a felony. Uh, your dive buddies might be your buddies now, and, you know, you get into a tip with them down the road, and they they, they might be ratting you out down the road about, about stealing the stuff too. So uh, it's, it's pretty hefty penalties too if you're caught. So leave this stuff down there. These are, you know, protected wrecks. Uh, and, and you're just making it bad for the rest of us. I mean, when, when we go down and dive it, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, to this day, I've only seen one ship with the wheel on it because that's the first thing that's taken off of it. I know when Ross Richardson found the, uh, the Westmoreland, that's how he knew he had a virgin wreck was the stern, the auxiliary wheel was still on it there. Uh, wheel, you know, the wheels are taken Anchors are taken, um, portholes are pried out, and done whether damage or not, get pried out. You know, let's leave this stuff here for the next generation. All right? Okay, I'm off. I'm off. uh, I have a slight exception to that. When you're out there in the saltwater, east west coast, that's going to deteriorate and go to heck in a handbasket. I don't have a problem at all with taking that. The items here, you know, they have a lot of legal protection. Legal protection doesn't stop anything, obviously, because people are taking items. Back, again, i got to go back in the day. Back in the 70s, when you could go to junk wreck, I mean, in a rubble wreck, that you can't find now, like the wheelers, it's on the dirt. They used mm-hmm. to take the parts off. Initially, they took it when the ice was there, stripped uh, whatever was uh, above the ice, and they took it home and burned it. Later on, in the 60s and 70s, people made furniture out of the materials, plaqued it so you knew where it came from and what it was. And dive clubs used to go to a lot of the events and display for everybody to see artifacts that they had recovered from other wrecks through the years. So you're actually seeing them. I have been to museums that you went to the basement and a curator would say, do you have any idea what this is and is it Powell Spirit? No clue what it is. Mm-hmm. So yep. in many instances, a lot of what is available is hidden away that the people don't see anyway. And, and it's like, uh, let's do the Ironsides. I, I remember when Gene went out there and he recovered also, or not so good, yeah, well, a, a big trunk from that. That was back in the day when the visibility on that damn thing was two feet. Can you imagine doing a penetration on that wreck with viz of two feet. Now, if he had not taken that, what's left of that wreck today? In 15 years, it went from a penetration wreck to rubble. All that stuff that was inside would not have been even available to look at if he had not taken it. So, you know, there's a little happy medium there. In this case, is it better that he took it and had it on and available for display and given to a museum? Well, when when Gene Turner took it out, though, it was it was completely legal. He was doing most of this, this, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, and 
there was no law against it. And so I think it was a little bit different environment then. No, I know it was legal because I knew people who would make furniture and stuff. My point, I suppose, is on the Ironsides. If you had not been, let's say it had been back in the day when and they said, well, you can't take anything then. So we didn't. Where would it be now? Would it be available for you to look at and see on the bottom of that rubble wreck? I don't think so. It'd be down. It'd be down there, but yeah, you wouldn't be able to see it. Right. Yeah. So there's there's pros and cons. Some of the wrecks that are really deep that aren't going to get weathered out and and falling in. You know, I, I uh, it'd be nice to be able to look through the porthole and see stuff on a table. But you know as well yeah, but, as I do. Also, back then you could see a shipwreck because it didn't have zebras and quaggas all over it. Well, but Gene Turner put that stuff in a museum, though, so the public is seeing it. I mean, somewhere, you know, the uh, the servingware that got taken off of the Windy Eight, that's that's sitting in somebody's private collection where the public is not going to see that. I mean, well, when they pass on, I'm hoping that the people will say, "We don't really have a use for this. Let's give it to the such and such." Yeah. Again, West Coast, East Coast, salt water where it's going to get eaten up, beat up. I don't have a problem. Here, it's a little different because, like you said, the culture nowadays is don't bother it, and also by law. So abide by the law. Well, how's this next article for uh, some intact ships? Uh, They are finishing up a three-year project, Black Sea Map, from the University of Southampton Center for Marine Archaeology and funded by the EEF, one of the largest marine archaeological projects ever staged. And to begin with, it wasn't even searching for ships. Researchers set out to complete geophysical surveys of the Black Sea to study climate change and how it changed the environment along the Bulgarian coast. However, they found a whole lot more in the submerged world the earliest ship they found to date is a 4th to 5th century, and if they go right through the Roman Empire, the 10th century Byzantine and the Ottoman Empire, covering a period of 2,500 years and offering fascinating insights into seafaring routes and traditions. Researchers have called the discovery unrivaled. The ship's locations reveal ancient patterns of trade, warfare, communication, as well as confirming structural ship design and features could have only been guessed at or glimpsed in drawings before now. We have never seen anything like this before, said Dr. Crum Brach Vrov, the University of Connecticut. <laughs> it's in the U.S. In the emailed statement, uh, this is the history of making unfolding before us. Researchers use remotely operated vehicles with high-resolution 3D cameras as well as high-def cameras and laser scanner lights geophysical equipment to survey the seabed. Uh, luckily below around 150 meters, 492 feet, the Black Sea is anoxic, meaning organisms that usually feast on anything organic cannot survive because there is little light or oxygen, so many of the ships in the surprisingly evil trading vessel where the towers on the bow and stern are pretty much still there. Ed Parker, CEO of Black Sea Map, said, it's as if you're looking at a ship in a movie with ropes still on the deck and carvings in the wood. Despite the 
excitement garnered by such a fine, the team is keeping locations of ships secret to protect them while they study them. It wasn't long ago that the earliest human skeleton in America was discovered by amateur divers, only for it to be put on a social media by a time excited scientists turned up it had been stolen. Luckily, the researchers had a television crew, one who previously worked at the BBC's incredible David Attenborough Blue Planet, followed them through the three-year project. Incredible findings will be coming uh, to a TV program. It's interesting how they stitched together some of these images. Some of those are uh, 3D images, and then some of them are photographs. There's a few of them where they got divers in there, so they must be uh, at some reasonable depth that you can get divers on. Well, I, from what I understand, the ones here which are uh, the ones which are so cool and intact are, are quite deep. And the, the picture I'm seeing with divers, those Arby Breeder divers, and looks like they're sling in 80s too, 80s 100. So these guys are they're definitely a, they're definitely on, on a tech dive, but that might just be a, a stock photo too. Uh, you know, when they're talking about these things being in an anaerobic environment below uh, you know. 492 feet, uh, most people aren't, aren't going to dive that deep. There, there's not very many folks qualified to, 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 to go that deep, and that's why these things are in such good shape. So, but Yeah, when you got wrecks here which have, you know, the rope and the carving still present, you know, they don't have, clearly there are no zebra mussels on these wrecks. You know, this is really cool stuff, but it's not stuff which is really accessible to the public. You know, I mean, I make the the best diveable wrecks in the world here because, you know, these are really cool wrecks, but it's not something that, you know, anyone can really dive. I mean, you know, you can see these guys here. I'm wondering if that's a stock photo. If it's not a stock photo, then it's definitely, you know, deeper than most folks are going to go. Yeah, certainly. But, yeah, looking at these, I mean, most of them are uh, photogrammet photogrammetry pictures. It's, photogrammetry is, uh, you know, when they're able to uh, you know, do a number of passes around the boat and able to stitch the photos together. It's pretty cool technology. It's getting actually more and more popular than you might think. Then uh, also they have the ROVs in the picture too, so there's a lot of you know, computer-enhanced stuff going on here too. Mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time getting these links to uh, post into TalkShoe. Uh, no problem with them posting into uh, Discord, but the TalkShoe links are just not showing up. I keep on getting logged out of TalkShoe, um, timing out on what's going on. But more reason to stick with the Discord and dump the TalkShoe, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <coughs> I just have to figure that last little bit of how to bridge the Discord together. So I may, you know, probably have to do some testing to get that going. Um, and then we have an article over 2,000 gold coins recovered from a Portuguese shipwreck. The 1533 Portuguese shipwreck relics were hidden in the Nambia. Diamond prospectors in Nambia nearly a decade ago stumbled, stumbled upon remains of the shipwrecked Portuguese vessel whose trading journey to India was cut violently short by a storm in 1533. Today, the artifacts of the doomed ship described by archaeologists as one of the year's most important finds 
remain a hidden treasure, relics stored in a dimly lit warehouse, and a diamond mine in Nambia's Atlantic coast review, include bronze cannons, copper ingots, eroded musket stocks, cracked ivory tusks, rusted wooden sheaths, or rusted short sword sheaths, uh, but they had seen only a small number of visitors who navigated the sealed doors and other stringent security features at the mine operated by NAMDEB, a joint venture between B and the De Beers company. More than 2,000 gold coins from the wrecks, most of them Spanish and Portuguese, are in a central bank vault in Windhoek, the capital. The main ship owned by Portuguese King Joa III, identified by archaeologists as Bomb Jesus. Am I reading that correctly? Oh, darn it. Uh, excavated site, which has been safe from plunder, plunderers in a diamond mining area called the Sparagobit, or prohibited area in Germany, or in German. The significance of the ship lies in the fact that it is one time that is untouched and unlimited. Therefore, it offers more complete window in the past. Plans to open the museum in the town Near the shipwreck site are languishing. Nambia needs a sponsor to kickstart the museum project. Uh, even though there's land set aside for it. Uh, Moa Elliot, Nambian archaeologist, discovery of bomb G was a turning point. Nambia's appreciated maritime hedge is committed to conserving the remains. So, and it goes on in some detail. So it looks like they're they're desperately needing some money to figure uh, to finish this off. Take some of the gold coins. Yeah. And then Kevin, you had an article that you wanted to cover. Yeah, let me see if I can pull this up for you guys here real quick. Um, we do have a new find in our area here. This cat. Here, give me a moment to pull this baby up here. But yeah, it just came out WZZM News. It's uh, been an outlet of choice for announcing uh, shipwreck finds. This came out just today. I'm trying to get the link here up. There we go. But uh, it seems that a new one has been found out in Lake Huron. Our uh, buddy David Trotter. Kind of been keeping things under wraps lately, but he uh, doing some searching out there uh, as always. He's come across. If I get this baby to load, there we go. Coming up on September 21st, 1924. So we're on the anniversary of that today. Bay, Wisconsin, carrying a load of stone to Detroit, Michigan. The freighter was seen passing through the Straits of Mackinac at 10.20 a.m. and was last seen by a tugboat on Upper Lake Huron that evening. A gale came up, sweeping across the lake. The storm was violent and unrelenting. The SS Clifton would founder, taking with it the lives of all 28 sailors on board. A few days later, when the SS Clifton didn't arrive in Detroit, it scheduled a thorough search of the Lake Huron coastline from Muscoda, near Alpena, to Port Huron. had failed to reveal any trace of the missing ship. Eventually, wreckage from the SS Clifton began drifting ashore on the Canadian side of Lake Huron, indicating that the Welbeck freighter sank. Also, the fact that no bodies floated ashore told investigators 
that the SS Clifton sank very quickly and that the sailors had no time to get off the ship or launch lifeboats. The exact cause of her sinking was never determined, and her funding resting place on the bottom of the current has remained a mystery for nearly a century. Uh, there's been a post that's been floating around Facebook about uh, you know a big announcement coming up. I'll link to the museum about this. Uh, there is quite a bit of uh, video on their website about this. Uh, apparently, this is the last of the whaleback freighters that has been uh, been unaccounted for. The whalebacks were a uh, kind of a unique Great Lakes uh, freighter. Uh, they were kind of short-lived. They didn't make them for more than, um, I want to say, about 15 years. But they were made pretty hardy, so they, they hung around quite a while. They were a kind of peculiar-looking slope-decked set up with the idea that the rounded deck would uh, catch the winds less and make them better able to weather a storm. Um, I don't yeah, I think that I was going to say they're almost like a submarine ish style and that they just very, they tried to limit the number of openings where water could get in in rough weather. Yeah. But one of the detractions to that idea was that they ended up having very small cargo hatches on them, making them very tough to load and unload, and which incurred more of your docking fees and unloading fees. So you know, they only made them for about 15 years, I want to say. Uh, you know, the, most of, this, this is the only way which has been accounted for, apparently. Uh, you know, there's this on the surface. The uh, Meteor, uh, it's somewhere up in the UP, being it's a it's a museum ship today. You 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 can tour the meteor today. That's the only one that's, that's still around. They were used for a number of different purposes. Though uh, there was one, the Christopher Columbus, which was a massive passenger ship. Um, you know, it was around for quite some time. I think it was uh, you no know, used for transport during one of the World Fairs. It was a very fast ship in its day. The uh, we have the Henry Court over in Muskegon. Ran into the pier in 1933, and is actually uh, just to the north of the North Break Wall. There, something you can snorkel. It's a rather shallow dive, maximum depth about 19 feet. Lots to be seen there. You kind of have to contend with fishermen sometimes. Uh, it does have an awful lot of a uh, large uh, smallmouth bass on the wreck. So it, it, it's a pretty cool shallow dive. Um, I know there's the there's another one up by the uh, the Sioux Locks. Oh, what is that one? Uh, the Sagamore uh, sank there within sight of the Sioux Locks. They were at, at anchor. One thing about these boats is that when they were fully loaded, there was not a lot visible above the surface. As uh, you know, they, they load these things to the max, and they would settle quite low in the water, and you'd only have just the uh, just just the cabins really visible above the surface. And so they were, you know. A target for collisions because it just wasn't wasn't like to be seen there. But uh, I know there's quite a few people that are quite interested in these boats. They were a very unique feature here in the Great Lakes, uh, locally locally referred to as pig boats, as they uh, had a towing bit in the bow, which resembled a uh, pig snout. And oh, and by the way, that is one of the items still at the Henry Court site is the. Uh, the, the, the bow tow bit is there, uh, you know, of, of the pig boat. But, again, it's it, rather cool find. Uh, we, we've, we've had a season of a number of cool finds. 
Uh, it's going to be quite intriguing, I'm sure, at the upcoming spring shows. You know, uh, I want to start thinking about your calendar, folks, for, uh, you know, uh, Our World Underwater in Chicago, uh, Ghost Ships in Milwaukee. They have the uh, Ford Seahorses put on a presentation called the uh, Shipwreck Festival in Ann Arbor. Then our local favorite here, Michigan Shipwreck Research Association, will have a show, Mysteries and Histories, in Holland. And uh, these are all things which it seems when the show shows get here, people have got scheduled conflicts, but they'll be posting dates on these on these shows quite soon. So uh, get them on your calendar. I'm, I'm, I guarantee you, Trotter's show is going to be about the Clifton. I guarantee you. <laughs> Well, cool. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That's what he's going to come and, and talk about. Well, you know, we've had a number of finds this year. You know, it sounds like with, with Noah coming up with, uh, you know, the Ohio and the Choctaw, although, you know, there's been a couple other fellows, um, Dan and Ken Merriman come up and they, you know, they, they actually saw it on a, um, a Garmin unit. Um, but but Noah has credit for the find because they, they found it first and announced it first and all that. Um, you know we, we've had a pretty good pretty good year for finds. So this is gonna. I mean I'm looking forward to the shows. Of course I'm always, I'm kind of I'm a little biased, you know. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm sure we're gonna have some excellent presentations this come spring. So put them on your calendar. Yes, yeah, uh, worth worth getting out there and taking a look. And we'll we'll definitely announce the dates here. So, uh, you know, stay yeah. tuned to us, and we'll, as the dates come available, we'll let you know. Yeah, they, they shouldn't sneak up on you. Yeah, I think so that, that Mysteries, go ahead. I think Mysteries and Histories has already been announced, but I haven't got it at the top of my head, but we'll have all the details for you in our, in our next program. So that does it for Scuba in the News. Well, let's go ahead and talk about some diving. I understand that there's quite a few people who've gotten in the water in the last week. Uh, Mac, now you you got in just today. Yeah, I've, I've been uh, able to get in the last couple of Thursdays and, again, back to the river. Today was more of an eyeball, uh, looking for some heavy stuff. So when we get there on uh, Saturday we're going to try to get rid of a lot of the old junk bottles that we have left out there. So I think one of the plans for the for the older guys is to go out there, pick up the trash. And that way when you're out there and you start looking for bottles, you need to look at them twice because they won't be looked over three or four times already. Do you think there's some fresh bottles that uh, are still untouched there, or do you think they've been pretty well picked over? Well, I sort of picked up a nice one today. I didn't really collect anything, but, you know, when it sits there and it looks at you and it says, oh, I'm in boss, take me, take me, uh, even though it's a crown top, it's it's probably the whole front of it's just in boss like crazy. And yeah. I haven't cleaned it yet, but uh, I brought that up and found a driver's license, part of a purse. Uh, it's been down there 17 years, and it looks like new, the driver's wow. license. So I was going to try to find uh, the young lady and say, "How'd you lose your, uh, you know, your driver's license?" I'd, I'd be curious to find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be I'd be interested behind that. But I, I think we're really going to 
in front of the the boardwalk, we've done a really good job of cleaning that last year. I mean, we got over a ton of just metal alone. So the word I believe is going to be out. Let's go out there and pick up all the other trash. I mean, there's a good. There's at least nine bicycles that John and I have looked at in the last couple of weeks. You know, it's going to take some effort because they're 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 buried in the sand. Yeah. In the butt. Oh yeah, I, I've run into that before. I I think last year I had a a big tube that was in the in the sand, and you burn a lot of time, especially if you're going for one of the awards. Yeah, do you go and no, dig I mean, something out, or do you go and for the quantity? Right, you know, it's like as I get older now, it's just I'm just going out to have fun and right. pick up trash tomorrow or Saturday. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple of big pieces of metal I'd like to bring in, but. You're talking lift bags, and they're on the opposite side of the shore. I'm not sure I want to drag over a huge water heater. Yeah. <laughs> but we but we know there's big stuff like that over there. Yeah, and that's why we have a new classification this year. It's going to be the largest, then the heaviest, the most, and then the most unique. Well, I know you're going to need it. John went sort of crazy last year. I mean, he was bringing back shopping carts. Huge pieces of pipe, all by himself. Yeah, but that's, that's John. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 like, uh, you know, uh, a fire extinguisher for me would be a hot water heater for him. <laughs> no, that's why we call him Big John. I got to get that old that. that uh, I'm trying to think of the old the song Big John. You know, worked in a coal mine. Yeah, I'm Scott. Big uh, John. Yeah. So that will be so. So you're getting in the water, doing some advanced scouting, getting the conditions. But uh, looking forward to having some good visibility on that. Uh, Kevin, uh, you you got into the the water a couple times, didn't you? Yeah, I've been a, in a couple times. I don't know. Uh, went out with a friend and kind of worked on some skills out to uh, Gull Lake uh, last week. Had a good time with that. Uh, and then uh, had a few forays out in Lake Michigan. You know, did a dive on the um, Ann Arbor number five last week. You know, had eh, decent visibility. Had about thirty foot vis on it. Wasn't anything really to brag about. Um, you know, it, it was a good dive. Everything went well. Uh, I did have a have a leaky mask, but you know, managed to deal with that. That's why we carry a spare mask with us, as I found out. <laughs> Verified that yet? Yeah, Verified on that dive. So actually, it was, it was a double dip dive that day. So. Uh, uh, I've had I've had a few dives, but not as many as I'd like to like to generally get in. Yeah. Yep. Well, for me, I I, I actually was able to get a couple dives in, which is uh, some people may be looking to see if hell froze over. But I did uh, get out. We headed out uh, south of St. Joe. Uh, took a run down to Max Rec, which nobody had been on in a couple years, and uh, we had two boats. Let's see, I think we had, was it, Mac, do you remember who we had? It was like Jim Schultz. Uh, uh, we had uh, John, is it Ted? Uh, we had Brian, I think he was in, and Brian's wife, the new, their new people into the club. Yes, yes, they were there. They were over on Jim's boat. Uh, so we had quite a, quite a few divers into the water. Oh, we also had, uh, oh, I'm about. Sweeney. Dan. Dan was there. Oh, was Bob? Wasn't Bob there too? No, Bob didn't, Bob didn't go. 
I think Bob went up. Uh, I think he 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 dove a different dive that day, but he was out in the water. But he wasn't in our our section of the lake. But we got down on the uh, on Max Wreck, the port side. Uh, looked like it had opened up a little bit. Uh, we can now see like a metal band on that side where we couldn't before, which kind of makes sense because we've got the steel or steel metal turnbuckles. So it makes something. It makes sense that they would have some sort of band that they attached into. Uh, but visibility, I say, is about 50 feet from the bow. You could awesome. not quite see the stern. So 45, 50 feet. Uh, I've only seen visibility better than that once on there. And we did have one where I would say visibility was 80 or 90 feet one time down there, which was just astonishing. But 55 is great, too. I mean, nothing to yeah, sneeze at. Yeah, I think the last time you and I were there, it was like 75, 80 feet. Now, but that was like two years ago. It's been a while. So. Yeah. And that was one where... You come down the anchor line and you can see the whole shipwreck. I mean, front to back. This one mm-hmm. from the bow, you couldn't quite see the uh, the rudder post. But then once you started, you know, about the time you got to the first uh, post on the port or starboard side, you could see the rudder post. So it was almost uh, dead eyes were open uh, and and visible. Uh, Jim uh, cleaned some of the zebra mussels off of them. The subsurface buoy had. Uh, had burst a leak, so uh, that's on the bottom. Um, so we had we had to uh, use anchors, but uh, some great conditions. It was uh, therm- you know we had a couple thermoclines. Uh, I'd say water temperature was about forty five degrees at the bottom, uh, but not too bad. Uh, I, you know, a great a great day. Um, and then after that we went down and there was some numbers that Jim and had. Uh, that was, uh, it's called Fisherman's Reef. And I think there's another name that they, and it goes by somebody's actual name. And, uh, I had about 800 pounds left in my tank or maybe it was almost a thousand. It's about 800 once I got, uh, to the bottom. Uh, but there was a reef that we were going to dive on. I wasn't expecting much. So I finished off that tank and about the time, uh, I got to the bottom, it, this was very interesting. It is not something I I've seen. I understand that there are more spots like this in Lake Michigan, but uh, there were some good sized boulders. I'd say you know a couple. There were boulders scattered around that the size of a probably a file cabinet. Um, the bottom, as I was looking at the boulders and kind of brushing them off just to get a good look, uh, you could tap on the bottom and it, it's kind of uh, I think Jim had described it as chalky. There was this. It's like slate, and then you can see edges. So at one point I thought, well, maybe this is a ship. You know, it's a boiler or a steam, a seam of something, but it, it's not. And then there are these marks that are about two inches long, just like white dash marks in a pattern. So, you know, I, I think I'm calling it now just so nobody else takes credit for it, but I think that's uh, it's an alien barcode. <laughs> I, th- oh, I think right. John called it. it he said it's uh, a landing area for the UFOs. Landing ships for that? Oh, okay, well that could be. Uh, but it, it, it was it was a it was a fun dive. I 
I wish I had had, uh, I had thought to, to take actually more air down, but I wasn't expecting anything. There's been so many times. What is the, how many times have we gone down to dive a target and it's just sand or a stick or nothing? And then here, the, you know, we get some funny numbers going, you're right on it, and you've got a really interesting reef to dive on. Now, I didn't see it on because we were, you know, maybe 20 yards off of where uh, Jim and his group were diving in their boat. But it sounds like he had more channels cut into the bottom of Vedrock. So he's he's uh, reached out to some people in the uh, uh, state geology groups and uh, saw if they, and asked them if they needed you know, if they were interested in it and needed any information or wanted any information. So, uh, and that one, the thermal climb was just above the bottom. Uh, that's about, it depended on where you were in the reef. It was anywhere from 35 to 40 feet deep. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. There's, there's one up, there's one up by Holland that I've dove. That's similar to that. It sounds like your one, your fisherman's reef's got a, a few more features to it than uh, what we call Chuck's reef up by Holland. I know Jason and Kevin, I dove that back in the spring but perhaps you know sometime in history lake michigan may have sat 35 40 feet lower to cause and you know, to create all these things on the shoreline we're seeing quite a few of them you know a few of them around anyway so yeah and that would make sense because uh this is actually uh uh shallower it's, it's almost like a sandbar because it's deeper closer to shore and then it it comes up to this uh to the reef well, prior to the glacial period, you got to remember that the shore of Lake Michigan went out like another 30 miles. Oh, okay. Remember that time when we had the forest? They found that forest of the sunken timbers because that used to be dry land. Yeah, they were saying about a. It was a, like a channel, perhaps, for an old ancient river that had cut through the the limestone and the rock bed. But I, I know it's going to be quite interesting. It'd be interesting to see what the geological group says about it. Yeah, certainly looking forward to having some information on it. And it's just a fun dive. Uh, I know Jim is hoping to get back there and do some uh, detailed scans and mapping just to, to get a little bit of an, more of an idea of it. And uh, we, I was expecting to find lures, but there was nothing uh, it looked like it had been pretty well scrubbed just by currents. Yeah, if it's if it's hard rock, they're probably not going to hang around real long. It might be a thing where, you know, uh, it get, you know something gets fouled on it, breaks the line, but once there's no longer tension on it, the current may take it away because you know the hooks aren't going to get a lot of purchase in there. Although, but sometimes you find you know things which are heavy, you know, like down below, you know, the dipsies and dunrigger balls will show up. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, we if if you know where to look, you know you you, you do find downrigger balls on wrecks. I mean, I, <laughs> I pulled up two uh, fishhawk probes off of wrecks this year. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, so, which is not not pilfering. It's not part of the wreck. It's it's, it's modern mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> Had a few of them there. So, yeah. uh, and and we we barely covered uh, that reef. And yeah, it'd be nice to see how what extent it is and. Like you said, I'm sure that that stuff's collecting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But that was a it was a beautiful day. We, when we got up, we did 
see a storm coming and I uh, wish we did have a good way of recall. We tried to, we had some divers in the water who had a little bit extra capacity and it was, it would have been nice to get them on the surface. We tried the, uh, revving the engines, but uh, they didn't seem to notice. Uh, so that's the diving this this last week. And then as we talked about earlier, we've got the the ecology dive coming up on Saturday. And then it sounds like there's some uh, uh, more diving on the Great Lakes taking advantage of this time of the year on Sunday. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm planning on going out uh I believe it's going to be uh, Friday night, or t- tomorrow night, heading out to uh, out to Bolsomas and have something in the works for Sunday, kind of, kind of watching to see what happens with the weather. You know, it looks like, you know, the, the different clubs are still getting out, though. You know, uh, you know, Mac was talking about earlier that you had a pretty good turnout at the uh, Thursday, Thursday tonight. Uh, Karen sent me a list. Looks like Jim, Rob K., John N., uh, Karen and her mom were there. Looks like uh, Chris and Mac were there as well. Uh, I know that the, uh, the the official SAS dives for the season are done, but it sounds like a number of the guys are getting together with with Eric. Uh, Eric's not listening tonight, but maybe he'll download it later on. I know that the, their their group are going out for uh, night dives. I don't think that's officially sanctioned by SAS, but there's a number of guys that meet up there at the, uh, the Prairieville launch on Wednesday nights and do a night dive out there. Uh, sounds like the uh, days divers are still meeting, you know, kind of informally here and there and going out diving from time to time. So, you know, the, the, the different dive shops are doing doing their dives. Um, you know, the, the season is not done yet, folks. Uh, you know, we are definitely getting in the, day, in the time of, you know, shorter daylight. It gets harder to plan something after work. But, uh, you know, if you've got a good wetsuit, you're going to be good to go for a while. Um, you know, if you've got a dry suit, you know, dive year-round. But uh, don't give it up just because the days are getting short. You know, the, the, this time of year, the, the, the visibility does seem to improve a little bit. I've heard a number of reports out of Gull Lake about the visibility getting better out there already. Uh, you know, we've already seen the peak algae blooms. And if you can get deep, you know, you can see some really good visibility yet. And we also mentioned at the dive club that the uh, October meet and greet at the quarry. Yes, the uh, Great Lake Racking Crew. Yes. Uh, and also, you know, I mentioned earlier about to the, the, the programs coming up, you know, that there are going to be uh, you know, shipwreck talks coming up from time to time. You know, you, you, you'll see them on Facebook or you'll hear your friends talking about them. Sometimes they're local. They mention the local newspapers or uh, MLive.com. Uh, I was not able to make the uh, podcast last week. I was just coming back from an excellent program up in Grand Rapids uh, that Ross Richardson had done on the Westmoreland. Uh, if you folks hear about these shows coming up, you know, we do tend to run about, you know, two weeks out with getting our our uh, podcast posted, but if you can give us some, some good notice on these shows coming up, we certainly will we'll plug them for you. Uh, we just need to know, you know, better than two weeks out. So we you know we're talking about future shows when we're, when we're recording here, but uh, you know, Ross's show up there in the Westmoreland, uh, fabulous amount of history on the ship. Did not realize the ship had been, you know, 
had been thought to have been found in the past before him. Uh, turns out what was found was pieces of the Moreland, but not the actual, you know, you know the hull in the ship itself. I'm not going to give away all the secrets and all that. He has a number of good videos on YouTube about the Westmoreland. Uh, I put his book on it at the top of my reading list. Still haven't got to it. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of bad about that, as, as Mac will tell you. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, lots there'll be, there'll be all kinds of shipwreck talks and shows over the winter time. You know, so stay tuned. Yes, and uh, if you want to keep in contact with us, you can go to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, go to the Contact Us page, and we have all sorts of ways you can connect. Uh, we are You can email us at theshow at scubaobsessed.com or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed at scubaobsessed on Twitter. I think that about does it. Uh, we also like to ask if you, if there's any way you can support the show. We're getting close to that annual renewal time for some of the services that we use, so any additional funds would be greatly accepted as we we head to this fall time of the year. You can do that by going to Patreon. We have links on our website, so any just go to anywhere on the website, look in the right column or in the footer if you're in an article, and I should have a Patreon link and. You know, for a, a, just even a dollar would help out. Three dollars or more will get you advanced copies of the show notes. And if you get up to that $18 dive nitrox level, we'll give you a shout out each week on the program. And you did to you help wanna, us keep us going. What's that? Did you want to do a max safety tip for my shipwreck of the week? Oh, certainly. If you if you guys have one, we'll we'll go ahead and do that. Oh, I'll go and get the easy one out of the way. I don't really have uh, safety items this time. It's called Five Hacks for Scuba Divers. And again, most people who've been diving for a while probably have already done most of these. But number one would be keeping your mask clean. And, uh, you know, spinning to your mask is, to, you know, to keep it clean is common practice. But not everybody likes to do that. And not everybody happens to have their little, uh, their commercial available uh, mask clearing solution with them. Uh, the other item that a lot of people use is baby shampoo. So water down some baby shampoo, 50-50 mix, put it in a spray bottle, and you're going to do fine. Just remember that if you put a lot more on there, you really want to rinse it really good before you put it on. Even though it's no more tears, you're going to have a little tears if you're not careful. <laughs> Uh, the second item is putting on your wetsuit. Um, actually, you can actually use the, um, you know, put a little bit of that shampoo on your, your hands. And quite often it's easy to put your hands back to your wetsuit. Sometimes it's, you know, a little restrictive. That helps lubricate it. The second item is taking plastic bags like you get groceries in. Put your hands and feet in those. You can slide your hand all the way through your uh, wetsuit and or your foot through it a lot easier. So something to try because, you don't, you know, it does reduce the resistance or friction from the neoprene. Most of us have lubricated our zippers before. A lot of people use the commercial ones, uh, a lot of the, um, like the beeswax. But by the same token, you can also use candle stub. You know, uh, wet-tube zippers require regular maintenance. There are commercial lubricants, 
But candle stubs work pretty decent, even though they may not last as long as some of the commercial ones, but they're a lot cheaper. Uh, we've always talked about streamlining yourself when you're carrying equipment. You know, dangling equipment is going to inhibit your smooth swimming style. You want to become more streamlined. So try using bungee cords. And from that aspect, you can use those to secure items to your BC, your thigh, or your arm, and get rid of the items floating off your D-rings. Uh, you can also use pieces of a bicycle inner tube. Slide these over the webbings on your BC next to your D-ring, and you can slide in the tubing to keep it secure. And the last, since the weather is changing and the water is getting a little cooler, you may not have dry gloves, but if you wear a thin pair of woolen gloves under your, your usual wet suit gloves, the wool will help keep your hands warm even when wet. So it's a little extra bit that gives you a little bit more edge. So that's the hacks for the day. Very good. All good, all good tips. All good tips. And make sure that those gloves are wool, like Max says. Uh, cotton is not your friend because cotton will not have the same effect. But uh, wool or polypropylene, that's what you want to have down there. Do you have a shipwreck of the week, Kevin? Yes, I do. Um, and I want to state for the record that I do stand corrected. Uh, looking through the uh, Wisconsin shipwreck archives here. Not sure why it doesn't come up in my normal searches, but they have uh, wisconsinshipwrecks.org, which seems to have a, I don't know how complete this listing is, but it does have over 100 wrecks on it here of uh, different shipwrecks in Wisconsin waters. So, uh, you know, there is a pretty decent resource out here. I'm going to try to get this link to post in the chat room here. But we're going to talk about the senator tonight. The uh, senator got some attention recently as uh, John Jansen did a number of dives on that. I'm not sure I, I can't get this link to seem to want to. There we go. No, this link does this link does not want to drag. Not quite sure what's going on here exactly. But uh, anyway, I'm looking at WisconsinShipwrecks.org, the vessel data for the senator. But uh, yeah, John Jansen did, I believe, three dives on this last month. Got a lot of attention, uh, you know, on this wreck. That's about as deep as anyone goes. He is a rebreather diver. He's one of the best. I'm happy to say that I actually got my very first rebreather lesson from John Jansen. Uh, as over to ghost ships when he was doing the uh, rebreather workshop. But uh, the senator, by the numbers here on their website, Built in 1896, sank in 1929, not nine lives lost, and it sits at a depth of 500 feet. It did go down in a, in a collision with the Marquette. Going to go into a little bit about the final voyage. On the morning of October 31, yes, Halloween, 1929, the senator was rammed amidships by the iron ore-laden bulk carrier Marquette off Port Washington, Wisconsin, while navigating in a dense fog. The fog was so thick that the crews of the boat said they couldn't see one another until they were too close to avoid the crash. The Marquette's captain neglected to turn back to assist the crew of the senator, and seven men drowned. The senator turned onto its port side and sank in only five minutes. On the day of the accident, she was transporting 268 Nash automobiles from Milwaukee to Detroit. Uh, senator lies in nearly 500 feet of water, six miles northeast of Port Washington, 
She's sitting upright, facing in a northeast direction. The pilot house and engineering spaces are intact. Today, the cargo on the, of Nash automobiles remains with the vessel. Cars that were attached to the deck have slid off into the sand. Those that remain inside the vessel hull remain chained in place. The group is considering is considered the largest unmodified collection of early Wisconsin-built automobiles known to exist. The shipwreck was reported by Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources in 2015. Data on the shipwreck and current observations were collected by remotely operated vehicles in multi-beam sonar imagery. So this is a wreck you can dive if you're, if you're qualified for it. You know, you're talking a serious tech depth of a, you know, close to 500 feet. Uh, you know, I understand that one of the uh, Nash's, someone did go with the efforts of bringing up, but it rusted away and went to pieces very quickly. So, uh, you know, just like wood, and you know, you bring stuff up from that depth, you got to put some serious conservation into it immediately, or it's going to go, you know, go to pieces on you very quickly. Uh, very cool wreck. The numbers here are not posted on the site, but hey, I'm sure if, if you have the qualifications to dive this one. Uh, you should be able to find the numbers for it, too. I'm not going to help you on that. Well beyond my depth. Cool stuff, though. Senator, built 1896, sank in 1929 with a total of nine lives lost. Yeah, that's a, that's a wreck I've been watching for a couple of years now, and they've, they've got some excellent photos of it. So, yeah. Well, yeah. At, at that depth, I would think the visibility should be pretty decent down there. Um you know, I, I have not seen Jansen post his video yet. You know, he does have a substantial collection on YouTube of uh, the, the wrecks he's dove. But uh, I'm sure he took a lot of video on it. Eventually, the the, the uh, video I'm sure will be up on YouTube, uh, but not yet. Well, cool. Well, thank you for that. Uh, My need pleasure. To thank, thank our Dive Nitrox. Patreon, which is Vanessa Homiak. So thank you for supporting the podcast. And uh, you guys got any plugging you want to do? I mean, we we need to thank uh, Wolf's Supply for the donation of the some of the prizes for this weekend's Ecology Dive. Uh, Mac, you have anything you want to post? Uh, not, not this time, other than if you're available and you want to come out there and Show our support or get wet. Come on out to Niles and give us a hand. How about you, Kevin? Well, hey, Darren, are you watching the uh, the uh, chat here? Just had a request for a shout out, which I think we should do. Oh, okay. Well, let me uh, take a look here. So, uh, so we have uh, TKD Derek uh, wants a shout out for his twelve-year-old son. Uh, he says, Finley. I just picked him. Pardon me? Oh, Findlay. Findlay, so, yes. Uh, I've just picked him up from school for the start of the school holidays. He's an SSI scuba ranger. We are all looking to getting him in the open water certified this Christmas. So uh, Awesome. Awesome. That is great. Yeah. Get him in young. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. yeah and, I, I, and if uh, you know somebody, uh, if you're an instructor or somebody, and you know someone who just got their certification uh we'll do the same thing drop us a line and we'll give them a shout out on the show uh, anybody who gets uh, open water advanced open water or any of the 
major certifications. We'll certainly give them a shout out. So that is great. So can so uh, good. Looking forward to have another diver. Very cool, especially at that young age. Get him in the water. Cool. Uh, anything else, Kevin? Um, well, I want to you know encourage our readers to excuse me, encourage our listeners to uh, support your local dive shop. You know, we all like bargains online, but the bargains online aren't going to fill your scuba tanks. Additionally, support your local libraries. There's a vault of information there which you cannot find on the internet. Uh, we we need those resources, so support them in your millages, support them in your patronage, and be there for them too. Very good. Well, I think we are getting to that time of the show. Uh, this one is from Rod, and it is uh, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll I'll, I'll let you guys be the judge of it. So, are you ready? Go for I don't know what. what with that kind of intro, <laughs> I think we could be ready oh. for it. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, God said, Adam, I want you to do something for me. Adam said, gladly, Lord, what do you want me to do? God said, go down into that valley. Adam said, what's a valley? God explained it to him. Then God said, cross the river. Adam said, what's a river? God explained it to him. And then he said, go over the hill. Adam said, what's a hill? So God explained to Adam what a hill was. He told Adam, on the other side of the hill, you will find a cave. Adam said, what's a cave? After God explained, he said, in the cave, you'll find a woman. Adam says, what's a woman? So God explained that to him too. Then God said, I want you to reproduce. Adam says, how do I do that? God, getting exasperated, explained to Adam as well. So Adam goes in the valley, across the river, over the hill, into the cave, finds the woman, then about five minutes, he's back. God's patience is wearing thin, said angrily, what is it now? And Adam said, what's a headache? <laughs> All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we probably should have done a disclaimer that uh, this, is, this is probably not something that uh, has happened to any of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what this is. Sounds like pure fantasy. So, on that note, go out there and get wet, and stay safe, and have a good time doing it. <laughs>